You're listening to the Artistic Finance Podcast Show 60. On today's show, I interview lawyer and magician Sarah Crasson. We talk about Flavors of Magic, the show she created in 2020 to highlight the diversity of the magic community. This is the first of four bonus episodes following Flavors as it develops from a virtual event to an in-person live production. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Before we get to the show, I want to mention that we recorded this on July 18th, 2021. We are amidst the COVID-19 pandemic with a current uptake in cases across the globe. In the U.S., we are also amidst a Black Lives Matter slow burn and a Stop Asian Hate campaign. And this month, Cuba has fallen under protest by its citizens about the nation's inequalities, which have disproportionately affected Afro-Cubans. So that's a bit of what's going on in the world today. Now, today's guest is Sarah Crasson. She has been the regional vice president for the Society of American Magicians and is the author of Own Your Magic, a book on protecting intellectual property rights for magicians. Flavors of Magic is opening its very first live show. That's going to be in New York City on August 5th. So if you live nearby or if you'll be in town, add August 5th to your calendar to attend Flavors Live. I'll be in attendance, so maybe I'll see you then. Now let's get to our interview. Welcome, Sarah Crasson, to the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here, Ethan. Thanks for having me. So before we get to talking about Flavors of Magic, would you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I am a white female and a lawyer. I'm single and live in a uh, nice but modest apartment in the Bronx. Nice but modest. I love it. It's, it's not fancy. Uh, but it's all mine. It's all yours. Wait, okay. I, I I have to ask this question. Do you own or rent? I rent. Okay, all right. If you owned, I was going to be like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I actually rent. There's there's no practical reason that I haven't uh, bought an apartment other than I seem to keep moving for my job and I'm not quite sure where I'm going to end up. So for, I guess, to keep my options open in that way and keep that flexibility, uh, I've I've decided to rent for a while longer story of all of our lives ain't it the truth though i will say you're a lawyer so part of me is like well lawyer that's a pretty steady paycheck i feel like you could settle down <laughs> it is it's a st- it's it is i had a, a job for a while as a lawyer where i worked sometimes from manhattan from lower manhattan and sometimes from up in westchester and white plains this was sort of a, an oddly convenient place to be as the crow flies. It's right between both locations. Okay, you might have said this already, but what was your education and your, I guess, geographic background we figured out in New York? Right, well, that's where I live now. And I'm actually from this neighborhood. I grew up just a few blocks over the border into Yonkers. And so I, I went to school in New York City and college uh, at Harvard, uh, lived out in LA for a while, came back to New York for law school. And I've been here most mostly ever since. I was going to say, did you say Harvard? Yeah, I did my undergrad at Harvard. Whoa, I'm honored to know you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like where L. Woods went? Or I take it as a compliment that you didn't know that because I, I, I try not to lead with it. But <laughs> Yeah, wow. I'm, this changes everything. Oh, you're one of those. 
Well, all right. Congratulations to you. Thank you. So it, it was wonderful. I really loved it. Okay, wait, and then law school, if you said this already, sorry. Law, yes, law, I came back to New York to go to law school, and I went to Fordham. Okay, fantastic. Another great school. So I spent the first part of my career working in big law firms. You make a lot of money, and you have no life. Worked crazy hours, and then made it home with just enough time to get a few hours of sleep, put on a clean suit, and head back into the office. I am now past that part of my career, because I've decided that I want to have other things going on in my life. It took a big pay cut, and I went to work for the New York Unified Court System, and I now work for a judge. So I advise, I advise the court. Two more questions before I get to Flavors of Magic. So uh, this is your creative and your financial personality. Uh, what is a live event that you'd like to experience as an audience member? I love a big Broadway show. I'm a classic, classic Broadway fan. I'm also a fan of buying the $9 tickets to whatever off-off-Broadway show is running that night from TDF and go and have an adventure. I enjoy going to the Metropolitan Opera. Another event that I look forward to every year is the Eve of Destruction up at the Orange County Speedway. Okay, that's... I... Which is a car stunt show and demolition derby. So <laughs> I, I, I'm a woman of many parts. I did not see that coming. I really thought the answer was going to be magic shows. But we got theater, we got opera, which I consider to be hoity-toity, so good for you. And then we went straight to Eve of Destruction car wrecking show. <laughs> I, I, enjoy, I enjoy a lot of different kinds of live events. Okay, well that's told us about your uh, creative personality. Now, your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? I would say I'm pretty good. I could be better. I would like to be better. I'm a good saver is, is my virtue. And I'm lucky that I was able to take a path for a while that allowed me to save a lot of money. I would like to be better at investing it and making it work for me. Oh, story of all of our lives also. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Just going back to the fact that you had like your big law firm job, and then now you work for a judge because you don't want to work as much, you know, or you want to do other things. How conscious, how money conscious was that decision? Did you work for like five years, high paced, making quote, lots of money? <laughs> and then you were like, okay, I've saved up enough now that I want to sort of slow down and work on other projects. Did, was that how that decision went? It wasn't really based on the money. I followed that path for a while, was living that life and, and working my tail off. Periodically, I like to take stock and look around at whatever path I'm on and is this where I want to go and am I is this path leading someplace that I want to be and I looked around and looked at the career path I was on and at the people who were already ahead of ahead of me on it and decided that that was not where I wanted to go I moved to work for the courts because of my passion for it instead of being a mercenary and doing whatever my client wants I get to serve justice and my job is to get it right. And I really like that. And I get to give people their day in court. And that's a, a wonderful and powerful thing. And I'm really passionate about that. Fantastic. I love it. All right. So now let's talk about flavors of magic. Yes. You're in the magical world. Yes. This podcast is in four parts. And so this first part, I just want to talk about flavors of magic. What is it? And why did you decide to do it? Et cetera. What is Flavors of Magic? Flavors of Magic is a project 
that started off as a virtual magic show. Uh, really is a series of virtual magic shows during the pandemic. The Black Lives Matter movement is and, and was raging. I, I was reading about all of the, the discussions in the art world that the movement was sparking. And I was really fascinated by some of the articles about the conversation that was happening about how Black artists and BIPOC artists had not been getting opportunities in various artistic communities. It made me think about my community, the magic community, and how are we doing? What can we do better? And the magic community is wonderful in many ways, but it tends to lag a little behind the times in a lot of social areas. Just, it's a small esoteric corner of the artistic world. <laughs> and so does, isn't always, a, a, is, is frequently not on the leading edge. So I say, and I say this with love, I, uh, but at any rate, the, these articles that I was reading and the conversations uh, that were being had really sparked me to think about it. And I am the resourceress of the Society of American Magicians, which basically means I have a special job that lets me do cool stuff that I wanna do and help other people do cool stuff that they wanna do. But it also gives me a newsletter that goes out to the membership of the Society of American Magicians. And so every month I write, sometimes it's stuff that's going on, sometimes it's things I'm thinking about. So I wrote about the social justice movement and the magic community and where we are and what I'm thinking about that and where, you know, some areas where I thought we could do better. And it got some responses and, and one black magician called me up, said that, the newsletter moved him and he talked to me about his experience as a black magician. That I, I had written about one thing that I thought we could do is to focus on being diverse when we put together our lecture panels, our convention shows. You know, it's too many conventions that I go to when you look at the poster and it's a bunch of white dudes. And we need to be better about that. And we need to look at that poster. And if it's a bunch of white dudes, then we need to go back to the drawing board and say, we've got to do, we've got to do better than that. And so his reaction was, let's, let's do it. Let's put on a show. And I said, okay. And of course it was during the pandemic and we couldn't do a live show. And we decided to do a virtual show and put together a production team of magicians and decided to go for it. So we ended up partnering with The Tank, a theater nonprofit, to do this virtual show under their aegis. So they dealt with the tickets and kind of hosted it on their website, took care of the, the money side of things, and we promoted and put together the show. It was enormously exciting, and I'm, I'm very, very proud of it. I learned so much from that experience. You know, I, I'm proud of it. There were some things that were were disastrous. And uh, well, okay, so I'm I'm going to call that all the virtual stuff. I'm going to call that your season one. Okay. How many shows did you do? We did seven shows. We did one every other week. We planned to do it about an hour. They frequently ran long because that's how it goes. I was not good at pulling <laughs> the plug on people. It's really hard to kind of signal somebody from off stage when it's a virtual show. And it's also hard to do it in person because the magician may see you trying to pull the plug but they will continue on doing their act <laughs> <laughs> not speaking from experience but yes i am <laughs> yeah 
uh, people, the speakers like to ignore your waving of hands anyway. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that the tank dealt with the money, um, but you're sort of organizing it. So when you say that, do you just mean they uh, sold the tickets and then gave you the ticket money? They sold the tickets through their relationship with, I think it was brown paper tickets. And then we, we split the gate and it's a, a slightly more complicated arrangement than that. But that was effectively the Okay. Okay. So you, but, but after you got the splitting the gate, you handled the money. They just handled the transactions of the tickets and the technicality of selling them. Right. And then they sent me a check. Okay. Fantastic. And I have to ask, cause it's a finance show. You don't have to answer, of course, anything you don't want to answer. Did, were your performers performing for free? Were they paid? Uh, did you make money? Did you lose money uh, doing these seven shows? None of the performers were paid. Everybody was volunteer for this run. And we made that super clear up front. The entire run netted $200 for Flavors of Magic, which was donated to the College of Magic in South Africa to sponsor a student to study magic. That is so fantastic. Thanks. Wait, okay, so the College of Magic in South Africa? Uh It's a fantastic organization. And they teach magic to underprivileged kids, uh, as well as, uh, you know, the kids who pay for classes and adults who pay for classes. And they teach speaking skills and technique and performance and give kids, you know, a, a great step forward in their confidence. And it's a wonderful program. We have had two magicians on this podcast, and well, now three with you. Both have been from England, which just was happenstance. But we also did have have a South African on this podcast. So I'm just interested. I like magic and I like South Africa. So that's so cool that you did that. I wasn't sure how much money the thing was going to make. My guess was when I was setting things up, I mean, I, I couldn't not pay the first group of people and then pay people later. I wanted to make sure everybody was being treated the same. So we decided that nobody was going to get paid. Nobody was going to make money off of it. And if we did make something, it was going to go to a mission-appropriate, magic-related nonprofit. I love that. So it sounds like none of the magicians were paid. The brown paper tickets slash the tank uh, split the gate with you, so there was no upfront cost. So my question is, were there upfront costs for doing these virtual shows? There was no upfront cost. I didn't lay out any money. Other than I eventually paid some money to upgrade my personal home studio. One, I met one member of my production team had the Zoom account. Omar it was, is, it, he is fantastic. Uh, he, I mean, is a, is a real find and I love working with him. He had a very sophisticated setup with a lot of technology and could really host the show and add tech to it and, you know, add, add bells and whistles. And so that was wonderful. And I don't know how much all of that cost it, is stuff that he used and got for other projects. So he didn't buy anything specifically for this project. So at the end of your seven shows, you had made $200. Did, were there any costs involved at all? Oh, well, absolutely. We did spend, we did make more money than that. And we spent some money on advertising. Okay. And was that Instagram? How, how did you promote? Just curious. So we tried, we tried to spend some money on promotion. Instagram, Facebook. We, we advertised on Instagram and Facebook, and I would say that we were not terribly good at that. We were feeling our way, trying to figure out how to do this thing. 
I know we spent some money and sent a lot of advertising to Algeria one week. <laughs> Not entirely sure how that happened. Okay. I mean, it was virtual. I guess they sh- could have but woken up in the middle of the night and decided to watch your show. As far as I know, <laughs> there is not a ton of magic going on in Algeria, but I-, I could be wrong. I hope somebody from Algeria hears this and they write to us and they're like, no, we have lots of magic going on. And they're, yeah, they're going to be mad at me. Come yeah, on. Come, come on. Algeria- Just because you haven't Algerian been to Algeria magicians. doesn't mean we don't have magic. Come on. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. I'm not aware that anybody in Algeria bought a ticket to the show. Okay, that's fair. That's that's solid fact. So you made two hundred dollars. How much did you spend on those Facebook and Instagram ads? Was it like a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars? Uh, hang on, I can actually look that up for you. Oh wow, we get real numbers. <laughs> okay, so we spent under two hundred dollars over the course of fourteen weeks. Okay, okay, cool. So I'm just going to summarize your budget, uh, which is so you, let's say you made four hundred dollars. And you ended up spending 200 on advertising, and that's how you get to your $200. Does that sound right? Pretty much. Pretty much, okay. It was a lot of work, and I would not say it was a good investment per hour. <laughs> it was not a good salary per hour. Yeah, of course. It was a passion project. I'm enormously proud of the product that we put out. The virtual shows that we did are still available, and they're on YouTube. You can see them at flavorsofmagic.com. You don't have to pay for them. Oh, it's just free to the public. Okay, great. To wrap up this first part of this, the first of four parts here for this Flavors of Magic, what's sort of like the biggest thing that you learned from doing those seven shows that maybe if you were to do it again or somebody else was going to try to do something like this, sort of what's a, a big takeaway that you learned that you could share with us? Biggest thing I learned to start further in advance and spend much more time. We would have been more successful if we devoted a lot more time and energy to promotion and social media and spreading word. Places that we posted and emails that we sent out uh, were not terribly effective. I, I would I would say that that was our, the advertising, the promotion was our biggest failing. We didn't nail that. Okay, final question for you, which is where can people find out more about you or about Flavors of Magic? Flavors of Magic, uh, you can find us at flavorsofmagic.com. We're also Flavors of Magic on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. I'm magician at law. If you want to talk about flavors or you have ideas, you want more information, you can email me. And I'm Sarah at sarahcrassen.com. Sarah, thank you so much for sort of sharing this journey, just because this is like from the from the ground up. And uh, I hope that other people listen to this who are one is sort of produce magic shows this way. And I hope they're emboldened to do it by, you know, just seeing how you're doing it. So thank you for sharing all of this with us. You're very welcome. It's, I'll be honest, it's a frightening prospect. The The pressure to get it right is, uh, is very high. I am way outside my comfort zone. I don't have experience with this. So I'm really learning as I go, but I'm very lucky that I have access to a bunch of people with more experience than I have. And what I have is is the passion and the time and the, the drive to do it. And so I'm really tapping those with more experience to help me get it done. One more question. You're sort of the spokesperson for Flavors and it sort of spawned from that newsletter. And you mentioned Omar. Who is Omar and who else is sort of on your core team that's helping you 
do this? The core production team is Omar Illusion and Rogue is his is his uh, stage name. It's it's a great team. We are a fairly diverse team, which is wonderful. And they've introduced me to performers I hadn't met and to actually kinds of performance that I was unfamiliar with. It turns out that there's this uh, tradition of, of performers in the Latino community that I didn't know about including some, some magicians who perform in this particular way. And I'm super excited to have some of those performers come and do flavors. You know, it, it's been a great team and we have a diverse areas of expertise and I, I'm enormously grateful to them. And, uh, and they will get paid as well this time. Fantastic. No, I love it. I love hearing people getting paid. Uh, okay, so August 5th, first showing in person, Flavors Live. Uh, Nicole and I will be there. I don't know. I haven't looked at the calendar or what our schedule is, but (laughs) we will be there. I can't wait for this. I'm excited. And anytime any any sort of magic person comes in town that I know about, I'm going to say, have you gone to a flavor show? Check the calendar. Uh, So that's really cool. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm I'm glad. I'm looking forward to to seeing you there too. I'll tell you that the performers that we have, uh, you know, 94% booked, it's a fantastic show. I am really excited to see these performers. So it's going to be a good show. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. All right. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to telling you about how things go as we progress. That was the first of four episodes following Flavors of Magic as it becomes Flavors Live. My takeaway is that if Sarah can create the idea from scratch, turn it virtual with the help of others, and morph it into a live show, you can do the same thing. For more details, visit flavorsofmagic.com and mark your calendar for the August 5th live show in New York City. I'll be in attendance, so if you can attend, I'll see you there. Thank you for listening. If you want to support this show, please visit patreon.com artisticfinance to become a patron for early access to episodes and a private podcast feed. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.